0: Um, all right. On today's program, we do talk about history an awful lot. It is Martin Luther King Day. We, we also have a guest for the last hour of the broadcast, uh, Jeff Brown, who is a technologist, really, really bright, has worked for some of the biggest high-tech companies. We talk about censorship. We talk about how do we beat this? How do we, you know, they're coming after podcasts now. How do we stop this and remain free enough to talk to each other? All that and so much more on today's broadcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program.
1: To rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children.
0: And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with
1: you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land.
0: Dr. Martin Luther King has been shot and wounded, possibly critically wounded, in Memphis, Tennessee this evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in He's Memphis, Tennessee. An ...all points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. ...running from the scene. For centuries, man's freedom has been crushed, contained, or at best discouraged, and sometimes In subtle ways. In the days of Solomon, he decried that man could learn too much, that one shouldn't dig too deeply nor read too often, saying that too much reading led to the weariness of the flesh, that the search for knowledge is where Adam and Eve went wrong, thus proving that learning leads to man's downfall or his sin. St. Paul centuries later said basically the same thing. In 1500, Francis Bacon wrote to the king trying to convince him that man could never learn too much, that knowledge could not somehow also contain the serpent. Yet free thought continued to be squashed. Immanuel Kant, the man who first described the Milky Way as a collection of suns in the fashion that we now know it, wrote in 1760, There are many things that I believe that I shall never say, but I shall never say the things that I do not believe. The Courage to Speak One's Mind In 1760, our most precious freedom, the freedom of thought, had not yet been born. Yet, just a few years later, on the other side of the globe, sat a man alone in a hotel room, his wife dying in bed hundreds of miles away from him. As he scratched words on paper, we find these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, with certain unalienable rights given to them by their creator, among them life, liberty, and property. It was later changed to the pursuit of happiness to make sure the slave trade would finally come to an end. I'm not sure if we really understand the impact of those words. Man has never been as free to think as man is now. The Chinese dissidents didn't make a statue of liberty in Tiananmen Square out of happenstance. Americans changed the world. Our freedom of thought allowed men to discover electricity, the light bulb, the car, the phone, the motion picture, the radio, the television, the computer, to put a man on the moon.
1: Which of these men will be first to orbit the earth,
0: I cannot tell you. And a spacecraft on Mars. We're safe on Mars. Yeah! It was in the American century that the theory of relativity was conceived, leading Einstein to say, the thing that strikes me about America is the joyous, positive attitude to life. The smile on the faces of the people is one of the greatest assets of the American. He's friendly, self-confident, optimistic, and without envy. The American lives more for his goals, for the future. Life for him is always becoming, never being. His emphasis is laid on the we and never the I. So today, as we are free to celebrate, relax, think, read, say anything, ask yourself this, are we still more about the goals for the future? Is life for us always about becoming and never being? And are we still part of the we and not the I? You know, when Jefferson first wrote those words, They were words of treason and certain execution. But today they are free to echo throughout the land as words of the American spirit and our hope that we do hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, and among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Our founders changed the world with those few words. And over 200 years later, a black preacher from the south, Dr. Martin Luther King, ...helped make sure that the promise of liberty was real for all Americans. Free at last.
1: Free at last.
0: Free at last. Free at last. last. Thank God Almighty. Thank God Almighty. We are free at last. We are free at last. Last year, the left did the unthinkable. They tried to convince us that Martin Luther King had approved the riots over the summer they took one of his quotes out of context riots are the voice of the unheard said martin luther king and people used that over the summer to justify the riots and they're completely i believe intentionally missing the point they're they're taking king's statement out of context they're disingenuous because he did not support riots he denounced them but he understood the psychology of rioting. And more than anything else, he wanted to give a voice to the voiceless. Here's the comment he made in 1966.
1: I think we've got to see that a riot is the
0: language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the economic plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years hey, so this is how r- many summers like this one do you imagine that we can expect well i would say this we don't have long the mood of the negro community now is one of urgency one of saying that we aren't going to wait that we've got to have our freedom we've waited too long so that
1: uh, i would say that every summer we are going to have this kind of vigorous protest my hope is that it will be nonviolent. i would hope that we can avoid riots because riots are self-defeating and socially destructive
0: that's what martin luther king actually said he's not saying riots are the solution he's saying they're a tragic symptom of a bad society now listen to this carefully because this is all repeating itself and for those on the left They need to learn from their own history. They know this. Why are they ignoring it? He says it's a symptom of a society where people feel voiceless and alone. Strategic violence and upheaval is a part of America. In some ways, it's why we're an independent nation free of tyranny, but not really. They didn't use violence. 1773, they say, the Boston Tea Party. That was not violent. It was not violent. In many cases, they had the attention and even compliance of the, uh, the ship's captain. They went in. They didn't kill anybody. They didn't beat anybody up. They dumped 342 chests of British tea into the Boston Harbor. And it was an act of political defiance because... If you want to piss off an Englishman, you take away his tea and crumpets or the fact that they were giving a massive tax on tea and America couldn't do its own tea. So we don't want your tea. We don't want your tea. In our Constitution, it says we, the people, in order to form a more perfect nation to establish justice and. And to ensure domestic tranquility to provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity to establish this constitution. They grounded in the promise of the words, a well-regulated militia being necessary to secure a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed but needless violence has no place in civilized silence in a society. So what is needless violence? Well, we're seeing needless violence that has caused more needless violence. What happened over the summer was kind of an endorsement of needless uh, violence. And now everybody's upset because some, I believe Radicals on the other side decide they're going to go in and march on the Capitol. King was heavily influenced by Henry David Thoreau. And I want to talk to you about Thoreau because I learned a lot in my research for this. Two years after MLK said, a riot is the language of the unheard. Two long years on April 4th, 1968. From the balcony of a room at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, a white supremacist aimed a Remington 760 at Martin Luther King and fired. That night, Bobby Kennedy gave one of the most astonishing speeches on the back of a flatbed truck. He told a largely black audience who did not know about the killing of Martin Luther King this.
1: We will have difficult times. We've had difficult times in the past, but we will have difficult times in the future. It is not the end of violence. It is not the end of lawlessness, and it's not the end of disorder. But the vast majority of white people and the vast majority of black people in this country want to live together, want to improve the quality of our life, and want justice for all human beings that abide in our land.
0: This is the best of the Glenn Beck program, and we really want to thank you for listening. When you look at the left, the left learned nonviolence from Martin Luther King, but they're rejecting Martin Luther King now. And this summer was not nonviolent at all. Radical leftist radical Marxists are really who's running a lot of this and the ends justify the means and we can never become those people. But it's interesting to me how the left says therefore all of these great things, but they're not and they run away from from things i want to talk to you about a complicated guy really complicated um you're probably not going to you know agree with some of his beliefs you certainly will agree with others um some you know some people will like his ideas but whatever the political ambiguity of this guy is part of the reason he's not a household name despite the fact that he was Martin Luther King's closest friend and confidant. He literally shaped King's take on civil disobedience. Not only did he organize and speak at the March on Washington, but he also played a crucial role in the formation of I Have a Dream speech. He introduced King. He said The social movement has to be based on the collective needs of the people at this time, regardless of color, color, creed or race. His name was uh, Bayard Ruslan. He was black. He was openly gay. He was a Quaker. He was a lifelong socialist and an unabashed pacifist. He's one of the reasons why people said, you know, Martin Luther King was surrounded by radicals. He was pretty radical, but he was a pacifist and he was a Quaker. And he was a staunch critic of identity politics and reparations and affirmative action. Oh, and he supported Israel. He's a black guy, a radical. So. Half of the country doesn't know him because, well, he's a socialist. And so nobody wanted to talk about him because that wasn't uniting at all. The other half didn't want to talk about him. The left didn't want to talk about him because he's against identity politics. He's again, he'd be against everything that is happening today. He's widely considered by scholars as the second most important figure in the civil rights movement here in America, right after MLK. A decade before Rosa Parks was arrested, um, he did it. He, he stood, stood up in a bus. He's, he was arrested 24 times in his life. Two presidents loved him. President Barack Obama. Gave him the uh, posthumous Medal of Freedom. And Ronald Reagan. Think of that. Ronald Reagan praised him for his moral courage. Now, a large reason why he's excluded from the history books is that he criticized so many of the left's sacred cows. He disliked the hostility of identity politics. His rallying cry was humanity over racial politics. He opposed reparations, the quotas based uh, affirmative action. He argued against blackface minstrel shows. He once said, you know what? Let us be enraged about injustice. But let's not be destroyed by it. Even in the socialist leanings, he saw the world not through the lens of race, but class. He was of. He was, after all, a socialist. He's most likely responsible for coining the term white liberal syndrome. Do you know what that is? That's when white people who are liberals condescend to black people and they secretly con- uh, consider them inferior uh, and they see themselves as saviors, I mean the entire democratic platform, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, pretty mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. pretty much. He said, if we desire a society without discrimination, then we must not discriminate against anyone in the process of building this society. This is the hypocrisy that the right feels right now. You can't say violence is okay all summer long and then say violence is wrong. We've been saying violence is wrong then and violence is wrong now. We, we, you can't say, hey, we want to be treated fairly and equitably and then say, oh, and by the way, we're not going to we're not going to give any kind of federal funds to white guys that own business. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Aren't we all in this together? Now, you will see an article or a video or something, you know, BuzzFeed, Washington Post, PBS. But most of the time, you will only see him talk about his leftist beliefs and causes. And he's now being reframed as an LGBT hero. Uh, You know, I don't think he'd have a problem uh, with that at all. But that's why is that the only part of him? That we're talking about. And that's a rhetorical question, I know. In the late 1960s, he veered towards conservatism. New York Times described him in a profile as, quote, a strategist without a movement. He had a movement because he was a movement. It's just not a movement that fits neatly into the left versus right dynamic. He had been branded Uncle Tom, especially when he spoke out against anti-Semitism or when he spoke out because he disagreed with some of the black activists. But this guy was an amazing guy that helped change our nation. And on Martin Luther King Day, it's worth spending just a few minutes learning about what he really did and believed. I I tell you, this guy is this guy's fascinating. Bayard Rustin, uh, he wrote poetry, played football. He was raised by his grandparents, the ninth of 12 children. You believe that Mm -hmm. Um, he was a member of the NAACP and W.E.B. Du Bois and James Weldon Johnson were frequent guests at his house. And when he was growing up, these things all made an impact. He said later, my activism did not spring from being black. The racial injustice that uh, it was present in the country during my youth was a challenge to my belief in the oneness of the human family. This is what the left is leaving out now. The oneness of the human family. They leave it out in their expectations for covid They just think that they have to force everybody to do it instead of making a good case to the American people. And the American people will do it because we're not bad people. We don't want to kill each other. Now, there are some dopes out there that might do this or that. But for the most part, we are one family. Throughout college, he was rested over and over again. He did sit-ins and marches and one for the communists and one for the Quakers in 1941, he met President Roosevelt in the Oval Office. Um, he politely, yet confidently, Ruskin told Roosevelt that if he didn't desegregate the military, Ruskin would lead a march on the Capitol. And that's when we got Executive Order 8802, the Fair Employment Act, banning discrimination in the military. By the way, we didn't have, we didn't have segregation in the military um, until Woodrow Wilson Woodrow Wilson resegregated the military. And then it took this guy meeting with FDR to say, can we can 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 you please stop this? He also led a movement to desegregate interstate bus travel in 1942. He got on a bus in Louisville, headed for Nashville. He talked about what it was like. He said, I was uh, I was going by the second seat to go to the rear and a white child reach out for the ring uh, of my uh, necktie and pulled it and his mother said don't touch an n-word he thought about that the whole time and here is this child that was innocent and didn't have any of that hatred and was being taught that hatred and probably was taught that blacks like to sit in the back of the bus and he it bothered him Just outside of Nashville, police stopped the bus. He was arrested, beaten, and hauled to the police station, but not charged with anything. Why did they stop it? Because he sat right behind the white person. He didn't go to the back of the bus. He wanted that kid to know, we don't like sitting in the back, and we're not different than you. This is way, way, this is 19, what is it, 1942. This is way before anybody else. He grew to dislike anti-war activism, especially the kind in Vietnam War. He was repulsed by activists who cheered for America's defeat. He was deeply disturbed by the prospect of Vietnam's people coming under the, the uh, thumb of a totalitarian regime. He said the Soviet model, the Chinese model are wrong. He said the people... On my side, who are willing to work with communists and Maoists in the name of peace, are politically naive at best. Where is this guy now? Where is this guy now? I disagree with a lot of what he believes, but a lot of what he believes, he still believes in America. He had reason not to. Still believes in America. Can really look at the situation and go, no, these are bad guys. Doesn't believe in violence. Believes in freedom. It's a it's amazing. He was the chief organizer of the March on Washington for jobs and freedom. And that's the I have a dream speech. Shortly after four young black girls were killed in a bombing at the Baptist Street Church in Birmingham. A reminder of what happens When you peacefully speak out, it's usually met with extreme violence. But his I have a dream speech changed things. And the bombing was followed by the Civil Rights Act of 1954. He saw the rise of the black power movement. Not a fan. He disliked identity politics, found it counterintuitive, divisive, alienated. Is anyone on the left listening to him? It's alienating and divisive. He came to despise communism and, you know, he became, you know, he's he's not a guy that uh, the, the left liked. They scrubbed him largely from the civil rights movement. 1987, he was rushed to the emergency room of Lenox Hill Hospital complaining of abdominal pain. The next day he went into cardiac arrest and died. It's only in the last 15 years since Obama that they've reintroduced him to the American people, but they reintroduced him as just an icon of the LGBT movement. He he was never active or involved in any way with gay rights activism until the very end of his life. And he used to say, if both sides hate you, you must be doing something wrong. But nonviolent tactics, constitutional means, democratic procedures and a respect for human personality and a belief of all people being one is what I stand for. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Jeff Brown joins us. Uh, Jeff is a uh, he's the founder and chief investment analyst for uh, Brownstone Research. He spent 25 years as a high technology executive. He was working at the executive level at uh, Qualcomm, NXP, Semiconductors, Juniper Networks. He's uh, regular on the program. And I really I really am fascinated every time we have him on. Um, because he knows a little bit about everything and a lot about most when it comes to uh, technology um, Jeff I want to push you a little bit uh, on on a story that came out and I, I don't even know the meaning of it um, and we don't need to get into the expl- uh, you know explanation because we're not talking about beam me up Scotty but I believe it's I believe it's the Fermi labs that have trans- uh, transported, digital transport uh, uh, transportation uh, from, of information, digital information from one place to another, no strings attached. Uh, well, except for the string theory. Um, and I, I, the article that I read said that they believe this proves Einstein's theory of relativity incorrect because it moves faster than the speed of light. It is have you seen this story at all or know this story at all? Uh, yes,
1: that and and many others in fact, um this has been uh proven several times over the last uh 5 years and believe it or not, uh what Fermi Labs did wasn't even the greatest accomplishment. Um of <laughs> course, I I I I I loved uh Einstein's comments about this. He called it spooky action at a distance, (laughs) very scientific Mm. way for him to explain something very strange happening. But what he was really referring to is this concept of quantum entanglement, a very complex subject. Uh, But the simple way to explain it is that if you have, you know, two quantum particles and uh, they're close to each other, um, they can become entangled with one another. They become connected. And then we can separate these two particles. And if the state of one particle changes, the state in the entangled particle also changes instantaneously at a speed that's faster than that of light, which is precisely, to your point, why this theory of relativity was wrong on this particular subject. So,
0: so, so, so is... <laughs> what is the application in the future for this?
1: Well, um, there are some, uh, obviously some very incredible potential applications. Uh, if we wanted to have completely secure communications between two physical locations, let's say in the United States, maybe it's a, the bunker under the white house and some secret laboratory under a mountain, um, We can have a series of entangled particles uh, where we separate them in these two physical locations and can have completely secure, impossible to hack communications between these two locations simply by changing the state of uh, particles in one location, which would instantaneously result in the same state change in the other location. And information can be transmitted that way, just like we you know, transmit bits and bytes uh, over the internet,
0: but there's no wires or anything, right?
1: There doesn't need to be and in fact, this crazy accomplishment that I alluded to uh, actually took place back in 2015. And get this, um, China was able to demonstrate this phenomenon between a satellite based location in Tibet, and a satellite in orbit. Eight hundred and seventy five, eight hundred and seventy 870 miles away, 1400 kilometers.
0: Uh, So last question on this. So is the quantum theory now quantum fact?
1: Well, quantum entanglement is absolutely a fact. Quantum teleportation is absolutely a fact. They're both proven. Um, Now, to be fair, they're very hard to use at a practical level because very special conditions and environment need to be maintained to enable this phenomenon to happen and to send information, but it clearly works. And uh, over the next few years, believe me, this is going to be an area of intense development, especially by centralized governments, China and the U.S. in particular
0: So Uh, we'll be leading the way. So um, most people are not paying attention. And I don't know if you remember Carl Sagan's last book, The Demon Haunted World. But I think these are the days he was predicting and and showing. And there seems to be some really big things that are happening that I'll read about in a small little article. And I'll be like, shouldn't this be a big deal? Shouldn't this be a big deal? (laughs) What are the things that are on the horizon that are game changing, let's say, in the next year? Is there anything?
1: uh yes i i I, by the way i share those thoughts uh that you have every single day right uh because that's all i do yeah um but next year literally the next 12 months we will see the next major breakthrough in quantum computing we're going to see some extraordinary breakthroughs with uh, uh from genetic editing and also messenger rna technologies which uh uh are uh related um, we're going to see tremendous breakthroughs in artificial intelligence. Um, what most people don't know is that the custom semiconductors, the hardware, have been uh, manufactured to accelerate uh, the development on the software side. So we're going to see some incredible breakthroughs in 2021 on natural language processing and also the use of artificial intelligence to make new discoveries. A simple example would be, uh, new molecular compounds or new drug discoveries by using this technology, this hardware and this software. Oh. Um, um, it's, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was also going to say, we'll see an explosion of 5G wireless technology this year that will impact all of our lives as the networks continue to be built out, uh, we'll see a noticeable difference in terms of the quality of our uh, connections, um, our internet connections, the speed, there won't be delays, things will start to feel nearly instantaneous, and uh, and that will touch all aspects of our of our lives, really.
0: Um, the last thing uh, I want to time I mean, I've got a billion things, but I'm out of time after this. Um, I don't know if you've been following, because it seems like such a whack job thing, but It's not now Um, if you've been watching what's been coming out of the Pentagon over the last few years, last like three, especially we are. The Pentagon is now verifying that we are tracking uh, otherworldly ships. Um, They are still studying to see if anybody has this technology. But the latest revelation from the Pentagon was that they were tracking uh, some sort of a ship that came uh, was flying super fast and then stopped, went down into the ocean, under the ocean, and was they were tracking it under the ocean at 400 knots. Um, are 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 you following any of this? Because it seems kind of important. Uh,
1: it's remarkable. These stories that are coming out are remarkable from a technology standpoint. None of it surprises me. Um, we've already identified thousands of habitable exoplanets uh, in our own galaxy capable of supporting life. Uh, so to me, it's common sense to think that other other life exists. Has it reached us yet? I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm excited to find out. But um, there's a big, uh, very interesting book coming out in a few days from Avi Loeb, who's the chair of astronomy at Harvard. Yes. Uh, and his book is going to talk about uh, that object, mysterious object, Mm -hmm. Oumuamua, that entered our own solar system, our inner solar system nonetheless, and its speed changed as it was coming through the solar system and then accelerated when it wanted to leave, and they weren't explainable by simple orbital mechanics. And so the theory is that there was some form of jet propulsion there to cause these changes in speed and attitude. And so his whole book, which I'm excited to read, uh, will be out in a few days, and we'll see
0: we'll see yeah. what
1: he has to say. I,
0: I, I pre-ordered it because I'm fascinated by it as well, uh, because he's saying there's nothing natural that travels the way that thing traveled. But I, I couldn't understand if he thought it was space junk, something that some other being or civilization or something had used and had jettisoned, or if it was... Uh, currently really active and probing
1: a surveillance mechanism. Correct. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, Jeff, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I do want to say, are there more people in Silicon Valley like you? Cause I used to talk to people at Facebook and, and Google that were, that were inside and they were like, we're libertarians. We don't believe in the, we don't believe in the left or the right we're libertarians and we'll never let this stuff happen are there still those people there
1: absolutely they exist and they exist in numbers especially in the libertarian camp uh, but uh, right now what I'm seeing is that they have to they feel the need to signal virtue uh, to the left and it's really heartbreaking to uh, to see this happen but they they exist and I hope mm-hmm. they I hope they surface again
0: yeah I do too thank you so much Jeff I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Always good fun.
0: Um, The editor of The Bleeding Edge. uh, And uh, we thank him for being on. Jeff Brown is his name.